This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 19. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, December 15th, 2021, as the recording of this episode. We are super excited to be with you. I am your humble host, Riley Bowman, and we are joined today by our esteemed producer and co-host, Matthew Marister. Hello, sir. Hey, listeners. Happy to be back and got my internet up, so hopefully it lasts the whole the whole podcast. Yeah, well, it, it was so such such irony because I was just talking a moment <laughs> ago about how we're having really high winds in Colorado here today, uh, like gusts in the 80 to 90 mile an hour range right in my own neighborhood here where I live, which is very, very, very unusual. These are these are crazy winds. So I was just talking about how I might lose internet. You know, we might not get to the podcast. Of course, that's still a possibility. And then all of a sudden, Matthew lost his internet. <laughs> But I'm guessing not due to high winds. Oh, and he just froze again. Holy smokes. Well, I'm going to press on. We'll see if we get uh, Matthew back here momentarily. <laughs> so welcome to the show, folks. Um, today we bring you our legislative news updates episode. This is where we highlight recent legislative-focused news uh, and information, keeping you apprised and updated on the current ongoings legislatively, both on a national level as well as highlighting uh, state, state and sometimes local issues, things we want to bring to your attention, make sure you are aware of, stuff that we hope that you will support, at least in the case of pro-Second Amendment legislation, or make sure you get out and, and have your, your, your opposition heard in respect to uh, those matters that... Uh, uh, that obviously would go against the Second Amendment. So we appreciate you being a part of this episode. Uh, first of all, I need to let you know that our sponsor, Elite Survival Systems, specifically sponsors the Legislative News Updates episode. Uh, so we are so pleased to have Elite Survival Systems and their fabulous lineup of products, primarily a lot of really great uh, bags and, and, and that sort of thing, especially geared for the concealed carry lifestyle. Uh, pretty much everything they make has some sort of concealment feature uh, designed into the product. And so we're thankful for Elite Survival Systems and their sponsorship of this episode. You know, most of their products are made in the USA. Uh, they have a lifetime guarantee, which is huge, okay? If you have any problems whatsoever, just contact them. They'll make it right. Um, they got tons of product options. You know, I got on their website and said, you know, I want to try a new bag from them. And, you know, I was able to find the uh, Stealth SBR uh, backpack, which I, I, I'm still just absolutely thrilled with as a product. Uh, it's, a, it's an awesome bag. Um, it's, it's, gone, it's traveled around with me already uh, a fair amount. In fact, just, just took it on the road with me to uh, Texas a couple weeks ago uh, when I went down there for some training. So uh, all with my, my 300 Blackout AR pistol riding along. Uh, great, great concealment backpack. Um, you know, they have been around since 1979, based here in the USA. So, guys, we appreciate, again, Elite Survival Systems, support of the podcast. We hope you'll support them. Don't just survive, thrive, all right, with Elite Survival Systems, EliteSurvival.com. Today's episode is also sponsored by CCW Safe. You guys have heard it a gazillion times probably from me. But I am a CCW Safe Ultimate Plan member, and I am proud of that fact. 
I believe it is the best self-defense legal coverage program out there that exists. I would encourage you to check out. And if you can't, you know, if if you don't want to quite pay for the ultimate plan, please at least consider getting their protector or their defender plans. Protector plan is geared towards uh, active law enforcement and military. I think that also includes uh, retired or uh, or uh, veterans of the military. And uh, then the defender plan is for, is just their kind of entry level plan for concealed carriers. So please consider checking out CCW Safe today. Use the coupon code CC podcast to save automatically 10% off of a new plan with them. And then for Guardian Nation members, you guys know who you are. Uh, you save 20% with your special members only discount code, which is available in the members dashboard area of of the the uh, Guardian Nation mem- uh, membership website. So guys, uh, thanks to our sponsors here today. Uh, Matthew's just messaging me and saying uh, he doesn't know what's going on with his internet, but he's working on getting it back up. I'm going to go ahead and forge ahead here, and uh, we anticipate we'll have Matthew back here shortly. So first story is reported on the NRA ILA site. Now, guys, I'm going to be fair, okay? Love or hate the NRA as an organization or recognize that it's a that it's an organization that isn't without its faults or whatever, okay? The NRA ILA is the Institute for Legislative Action, which is the the that is the part of the NRA I think that actually is the is truly the really important part besides their firearms instructor programs and whatnot, which I think does good work as well you know, overall. Um, anyway, the uh, NRA ILA reports anti-gun provisions dropped from the House passed NDA. That's the National Defense Authorization Act. You know, each year there's an annual uh, defense spending bill that is, that has to be passed to make sure our our nation's military rem- remains funded each year. And here's the thing. Okay, you got to watch yourself. You got to watch these cats there in Washington D.C. Uh, even with something as simple as a military spending bill, there were a couple of uh, representatives, both actually from California in this case, Representative Jackie Speyer and Representative Norma Torres, both from California, both proposed amendments to the NDAA, the, the fiscal year 2022 NDAA. Uh, to that would have been anti-gun provisions. We got Matthew back. We'll, we'll hope that he uh, that his internet holds on tight for us. Um, the first provision would have ignored constitutional due process protections and allowed for the confiscation of personally owned firearms of mil- members of the U.S. military. It would have afforded the military judicial system the ability to issue ex parte protective orders that would have, that would prohibit firearm possession without giving the accused an opportunity to contest the accusations against them and present evidence in their defense. So essentially this was a red flag law for the entire military is what this amendment would have been. Fortunately, it got stripped out of the uh, spending bill. So that was fortunate. Okay. But again, we, I, I talk about this all the time about, you know, we, we have to talk about these kinds of things. Number one, because it's good to recognize when we have wins, but number two, so that we see what's on the roadmap We're, so that we see what is the strategy? What is the next play? Where are the anti-gunners in our government? What are they looking towards next? What is, what are they coming after? All right. So uh, this tells us, Hey, us military members, 
they want to make sure they get red flag laws instituted military wide. All right. So that it, it's not even specific to a state, right? So right now we have red flag laws in a, in a number of states where those states have passed them. But this would have instituted something for the U.S. military members and uh, uh, I, I don't know, possibly even their families. I don't know to what extent that would have extended. But the second amendment that was that they tried to slip into the spending bill would have undone undone components of two export reform regulations crafted by the Trump administration. It's hard to not like go into the weeds as to exactly what all that would have covered, but I can tell you this much. One of the things the Trump administration rolled back a couple of year, uh, uh, a couple of years back were was some legislation uh, or regul excuse me regulations that uh, that upped the cost for sometimes just regular gunsmiths to do their job. Okay. Um, that was that was instituted under Obama. Trump rolled some of that back, as, as well as a bunch of other, uh, particularly export-focused uh, regulatory things. All right. So the other amendment they tried to slip into this recent military uh, spending authorization act uh, would would have rolled back those those Trump uh, initiatives uh, to, uh, and so that would have impacted directly. Uh, American competitiveness, competitiveness, it says here, would have removed burdensome, uh, well, excuse me, would have reinstituted some burdensome regulations for gunsmiths and other small businesses. So, uh, yeah, fortunately, again, that was stripped out of this spending bill. So we got to be on our toes. We got to watch this stuff. And I'm thankful to those that do watch this stuff very closely uh, and uh, make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. So that's the first story. How's, how's the internet, Matthew? It's holding up, man. It's holding up. I don't know what's going on first time for this to happen, but uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll make it through the entire entirety of this episode. Yeah. Well, let's go on to our next, well, unless you have a, additional comments, feel free no, no. Um, on the uh, the National Defense Authorization Act there. Uh, let's go to the jurist.org, jurist.org, which... Uh, uh, has you know we've actually featured some news stories from this site in recent history. There's a story here uh, giving us an update on the bump stock ban, which uh, the gun owners of America uh, sued federal government uh, on the bump stock ban issue. All right, so and and that went before the uh, uh, Circuit Court of Appeals of the uh, Sixth District. So uh, Matthew, why don't you tell us what, what happened there? Yeah, so back in 2017, we have the uh, the Las Vegas shooting. Uh, Trump's in pres- uh, the president at the time, um, and the bump stock ban comes out, right? Um, and this was in 2017. Prior to this, um, there was some question about bump stocks. Uh, I won't rehash the whole thing, but basically they were legal until they were illegal. Um, and yeah. not illegal as far as... Le- a, a law was changed or anything like that through Congress, it was just a redefinition or redefining uh, the term, uh, mm-hmm. the ATF. Of a machine gun. Right. Which uh, is, is a pretty big thing, right? It, it's not just, you know, hey, we have a dual difference of opinion on how we, you know, different administrations might, you uh, um, you know, interpret this rule that might result in a fine or some sort of regulatory thing. This is turning people from 
law-abiding citizens to potential felons. So this is a big thing. It's not just, you know, uh, some minutia of, you know, semantics. It's, it's, a, it's a big thing. So basically, a uh, guy sues um, and loses, goes to appeals court. Um, that the appeals court uh, sides with uh, with him, but says, "Hey, we're going. We want to. Uh, uh, we're going to hear, you know, oral arguments." They reject the oral arguments, but then agree later on, or they they take the oral arguments, but they don't rule. They referred it back to the original court, but then decide, okay, we will we will take an on banc review of this case. Um, that was what was just uh, just came out, and it was um, in the Sixth Circuit, and it was split. Uh, so in order for the lower court to be reversed, it couldn't be split. And this was split eight, eight. So it would have had to be a majority. So since it wasn't a majority, it reverts back to the lower court, uh, ruling, which upholds the bump stock ban for now. Um, and this was just one of the cases that was mentioned in this jurist, uh, uh, .com, uh, article. There is another one. Oh, sounds like we, uh, May have lost Matthew's internet again, so I'll pick up where he's le- where he's leaving off here. Uh, the tenth, there's a similar case in the Tenth Circuit Court uh, that was initially agreed by the Tenth Circuit Court to be heard, but they later decided to drop it. Uh, so th- that case is actually seeking U.S. Supreme Court review. Uh, so we've got that case. We have the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals case. Uh, this rejection here that uh, th- these are both going to be seeking. Uh, review by the Supreme Court would be my guess. And now having two cases proceeding, although really in the Tenth Circuit Court, it's not really proceeding, but we have two cases in two different uh, 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 districts that are uh, seeking review by the Supreme Court. So that ups the the probability the Supreme Court will take up and hear one of these cases or both of these cases. So uh, that that, uh, is a promising sign. Again, you know, bump stocks... uh, you know, this isn't. I, I've made it clear I'm not like a huge fan of a bump stock. I never owned one. I've used one. Um, not a product I particularly have any use for. But I, I absolutely abhor the fact that by leg, by not even legislative fiat or or by leg, you know by the declaration of legislation, but by a declaration of a sitting U.S. president and his regulatory agency, which interesting enough was President Trump, just at a stroke of a pen decided. We're going to outlaw bump stocks. Um, that's a problem, and it's a problem because of the way it was done, and the way and the fact that we went back and decided to redefine or reinterpret the law. So I'd like to see this overturned. The curious thing about this Sixth Circuit Court decision is the court was split. It was split eight to eight. If it had been a majority vote, all we need is one more vote, <laughs> and it would have gone uh in favor of the uh of of the plaintiff here so yeah it's it's important right you know these things and uh, uh elections are important the sitting president in that position is important because the power he wields to appoint federal judges and we saw eight out of eight judges here excuse me eight out of 16 apparently this was a 16 panel which is which is pretty 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 good, pretty good size uh, judicial panel, uh, but we just need one more there. Anyway, uh, Matthew looks like he's working on getting his internet back up. 
our apologies again there. It's so ironic because here I thought it was going to be me having to worry about power outages in Colorado. And who knows what's going on there with uh, our Mr. Matthew Marister, producer of the podcast. Moving on to California. Uh, no surprise here necessarily, but something we need to be aware of. And particularly if you are a Californian, you better be aware of and you better be writing the governor's office, writing your state uh, representatives and senators and any, doing anything else you can to be active and engaged and working to thwart uh, the damage that Governor Newsom and others in the state of California are working to uh, affect against the Second Amendment. Uh, so what Go- Governor Newsom is proposing and is working on uh, is is a law, a state law there to allow private citizens to sue gun manufacturers. That flies directly in the face of very specific federal law, a law that is known as the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, the PLCAA, which was passed, I think, in 2005, thereabouts. It's definitely during uh, George W. Bush's uh, term or one of his terms. And uh, by the way, that law was passed with wide bipartisan support. Just saying. All right. And part of that law specifically prohibits the ability for people or organizations to sue manufacturers because of criminals that intentionally misuse uh, and commit criminal acts with firearms. So Governor Newsom is working on a proposal to create a, a statewide law that will permit private citizens in the state of California to sue manufacturers for the way criminals use their guns, hold manufacturers liable for something they have no control over, really. So uh, that's a problem. It goes directly against federal law. This is obviously going to result in an immediate challenge. All right. And, but at the very least, this is why we talk about this here on the podcast so that hopefully we help mobilize some of you, many of you, particularly those of you in California, to get out there and make sure this is fought against because this is a bunch of baloney. So uh, there you go. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, Randy on Facebook commenting, he's coming to Denver tomorrow. Is the weather that bad? I think it's just today, Randy. We just have really, really high winds. It's uh, pretty crazy. We've seen winds as high as 107 miles per hour. Bunch of flights canceled in and out of the airport here because of that. So it should be settled down by tomorrow, though. So anyway, let's go now to actually talking about Colorado, the city of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, Boulder, Colorado, a couple years ago, passed a assault weapons ban as well as decided to go above and beyond the state law and limit magazine capacities to 10 rounds or less in the city and county of Boulders, or maybe it's just the city of Boulder. Um, uh, Yeah, city of Boulder, I'm pretty sure it is. City of Boulder was challenged in uh, first state court. Okay. State Supreme court uh, denied their, the, the city of Boulder's appeal. That went to the Colorado Court of Appeals and was further denied again. It seems that at this point, the city of Boulder it has 
as far as we can tell now, this could change, but it seems that they are uh, not choosing to pursue this case any further. In other words, take it above the state uh, court of appeals and go to the federal level. So that is a win for the Second Amendment. It's a win for those of us here locally. I don't live in Boulder, but uh, certainly I'm not too far from there. And I certainly have friends that uh, are in, in, in the city of Boulder. And so, you know, part of this legislation was requiring the registration. It was basically banning assault weapons sales in the city of Boulder and then requiring registration of all those already in existence in the possession of residents. And they had a certain time frame by which they had to register their uh, quote unquote assault weapons, essentially their AR-15s and whatnot with the city of Boulder. Okay. And then also, of course, the magazine uh, uh, capacity limit of, of 10 rounds there. That was part of this too, also being overturned. So we do have a state law of 15 round capacity, uh, which is kind of a mess in its own right, but Boulder was trying to go above and beyond that. So fortunately for residents of Boulder, Colorado, uh, this this one is dead as of now and seems as though it's not going to go any further, but we'll let you know if that changes. Finally, moving on to Ohio. Now, I was hoping we'd have Matthew back because this is his home state, obviously, and <laughs> to talk about uh, uh, Ohio's constitutional carry law there or bill senate bill 215 as it is known uh and he actually matthew wrote an article on our site ohio.concealedcarry.com where you can find it uh just published uh, today in fact uh you'll you'll also see this article on the main concealedcarry.com site as well um for those of you that don't know we have localized uh news you know and blog stories um as well as class schedules for those markets where we do have affiliate instructors in, you can always just add your state. So if you live in Ohio, you just type in, instead of concealedcarry.com, you put in ohio.concealedcarry.com. And that'll take you to our Ohio subsite of concealedcarry.com. And uh, so again, you'll see Ohio specific news and information in the blog listed there. And you also see any upcoming classes, including I actually have a class in Ohio coming up in March in Youngstown. So that'll be a two day pistol intelligence class. So those of you in Ohio love to have you come out to that class. Uh, if you'd like to, I'd, I'd love to see you. So I think that's March 5th and 6th in 2022 in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, let's see. Matthew writes here in August of this year, we reported that the Republican Senator Terry Johnson from Ohio, from Ohio along with co-sponsors, and there's a whole list of them, I'm not going to read them all, um, is Ohio's best chance of finally implementing constitutional carry in the state. At the time, the usual crowd of naysayers emerged to throw a wet blanket on the legislation's chances of becoming law. However, there was a, if there were a time that program legislation had a chance to pass, it would be now. 21 states now have some sort of permit list or constitutional carry law in place. What's more, five of those states just became permitless carry in 2021. We've reported on these, right? So like this, this has been a movement over the last, say, five years, especially so uh, in a pretty big way to go from where not that many years ago, it was pretty much just Vermont and 
what else am I missing? I feel like there was like two constitutional states or two constitutional carry states, Vermont being probably the most notable one. Uh, and now we've got 21 states that have some sort of permitless or constitutional carry law in place. Ohio has a lot of interest, a lot of people, a lot of followers, the podcast there, uh, a lot of concealed carriers, right? That would, would love to see permitless or constitutional carry. We are supporters of that because while I teach concealed carry classes, which are intended to here in Colorado for people to be able to go and apply for permits to carry concealed, I do not support government mandated permits on the practice. All right. And I would continue to teach classes aimed at concealed carriers to just help them be better informed and better trained, regardless of if there was a permit structure in place or not. Anyway, in March earlier this year, House Bill 227, which was called the regard or called the Constitutional Weapons and Concealed Carry Without License Bill, is the House's version of Senate Bill 215. All right, so some slight dis- differences between these two bills, but they were hopefully going to be reconciled. The uh, House bill passed with a vote of 60 to 32. Okay, pretty overwhelmingly. Um, but following party lines, every Republican voting for and every Democrat voting against, there were a couple of Republicans and Democrats that did not vote, did not participate in the vote, didn't want to put themselves on record, apparently. So, so that that passed, all right? So that bill's been sitting there. Senate Bill 215, well, as of yesterday, the Veterans and Public Safety Committee voted on whether or not to advance the bill to the Senate floor for a full vote. The committee heard testimony from several individuals and groups for and against the bill. All right. So that bill did pass through the committee and will go to the Senate floor. So this is a major, major step. This is a crux in the advancement of constitutional carry in the state of Ohio. All right. What is the makeup? Well, it's favorable. Okay. Uh, the the numbers work out to uh, where we need 20 of the 33 senators. Excuse me. I'm, I'm reading the wrong thing here. Uh, excuse me. This Ohio Senate currently is in control by Republicans 25 to 8. So if this goes by party line vote, which will probably will, or at least be close to that, this looks like it'll be quite favorable to passing. And the other thing here I was getting a little ahead of myself is that to if the governor for some reason decides, and that's Governor DeWine, which I think he's voiced, uh, you know, being a little reticent towards supporting this, but um, uh, d- there should be more than enough uh, of a three-fifths majority, especially in the Senate and likely in the House of Representatives to get that over uh, v, any sort of veto over overridden. So it's looking much more promising in the state of Ohio to finally achieve constitutional carry. So this is not the time to sit back and think, Oh, we've got it in the bag, right? Uh, this is the time to be contacting your state senators, because now if this is going to go before the full Senate, let your senator there in the state of Ohio know your support for Senate Bill 215. Then, of course, there will have to be a little bit of reconciliation between the House bill and the Senate bill, and we'll hopefully get this all wrapped up, okay? There's obviously a lot of support, both in the House and the Senate, for these bills, so I'd say this looks very likely it's going to get done. 
It's just a matter of are we going to get it done with enough of a of an overwhelming support uh, supporting vote in both the House and the Senate to suggest to the, to Governor DeWine that hey, don't even bother vetoing because if you do, we're just going to end up overturning that. This is the power of the process at work, right? Obviously, we have the ability, you know, for state governors or for the president of the United States, uh, for these executive leaders to veto things passed by our respective Congresses. Uh, But then we have the ability for those Congresses to say, wait, we represent the people. We're responsible to our people in our our various districts. And this is what the people wants. And we're going to we're going to override you. And that's a beautiful thing when it works. I mean, I'm whatever that is, like the process, I think itself is an amazing process. So don't, don't just think we got it in the bag. Make sure you're let you're letting your, you are letting your voices be heard by those that represent you to know of your support for constitutional carry in the state of Ohio. At least I hope you support it. If you don't, that's fine. We still love you. Um, but I think this is, I think this is good legislation. Moving now to our final news story, which is from the state of Pennsylvania, uh, prominently featuring Governor Wolf, uh, governor of Pennsylvania. Uh, governor Tom Wolf today vetoed, and this, by the way, is as of December 2nd is when this was published on, uh, this is actually on the governor's page, governor.pa.gov. So this is actually essentially his statement regarding his veto. He vetoed Senate Bill 565, which was legislation that would allow anyone who wishes to carry concealed guns able to do so without a background check and permit. I'm going to read part of his message, and then we're going to talk about it. This legislation, which eliminates the requirement for individuals to obtain a license before carrying a concealed firearm, will only exacerbate gun violence and jeopardize the safety of all Pennsylvanians. Each year, there are more than 1,600 victims of gun violence in Pennsylvania. These victims and communities deserve to have meaningful legislation passed to address the scourge of gun violence. I support many public policy proposals that would help solve this urgent issue, including safe storage legislation. That means penalties if you don't put your gun in a safe properly, which is the responsible thing to do. But I just don't think that penalties will work, and I don't think it's the right thing to do. Also, he supports extreme risk protection order, enhanced reporting requirements for lost or stolen guns. Read that as penalties if you fail to report your lost or stolen guns. And closing gaps in the background check system. Hard to say exactly what he means by that, but anyway, we know the background check system doesn't really work anyway. Even if it was fixed, supposedly, there would still be failures in such systems. Unfortunately, this bill would make gun violence worse and would put law enforcement officers at greater risk of harm. I'm going to go down a little bit further. A couple couple paragraphs down, he says, in states without concealed carry licenses, there is an 11% higher rate of homicide than those states who require a license. I'd actually like to see him cite his sources on that. All right. As we've talked about before, or just earlier in this episode, there are 21 states now that have constitutional carry. From what I've seen, there's been no correlation between any rate, any rise of rate in homicide and constitutional carry being passed. I call BS on this claim that 11%, that there's a 11% higher rate of homicide in states that 
don't require a permit. All right. So Governor Tom Wolf, I'm calling you out. I want to see your sources. I want to see that where that came from. And then let's also look very closely at that data. I, I assume that number came from somewhere. All right. But then let's look closely at that and actually tell ask ourselves a question. Can we actually say that crime has risen, violent crime has risen as a result of permitless carry? Here's the thing. He then goes on to say how in 2021, nearly 360,000 licenses to carry background checks were completed and nearly 11,000 were denied. Now, if it's anything like Colorado's, which we just talked about a couple episodes ago, about how they claim so many applications for permits were denied, but the reality is a lot of those were false negatives. And when that's all cleaned up, it's probably a lot lower than what they say. Same is true of gun background check uh, denials. Hmm. Um, even if that is true, see, he, he here's here's where they try to play on our, you know, this is an emotional appeal of, hey, 11,000 people were denied for permits. So what does that tell you? That means 11,000 people would have been carrying guns that are criminals, and that's scary and dangerous. Hmm. Ask yourself the question, those 11,000 people that were denied, assuming they actually were rightfully so denied and that they are actually criminals, because I, I presume that's why they'd be denied. Maybe there's a mental health aspect too. I don't know. What do you think they might do when they got denied? Particularly if they are of the criminal ilk, they'd probably just carry concealed anyway. Oh, I got denied. Well, you know what? guess I'm just going to carry my gun anyway. And the fact is, no law prevents a criminal from carrying a gun concealed. So this is all red herring phallus. Foul, I was going to try to make a adjective out of that. Fallacious. There it is. Uh, arguments against constitutional carry. All right. The logic doesn't make sense. I don't think the data makes sense. Uh, whatever data they may have. All right. And um, yeah, Governor Wolf, I'm calling you out. And I think you and you know you probably don't give a give a crap. Probably don't even know I exist. Probably don't even know this podcast exists. But I'd love to hear a response from you. All right. Explain to me seriously why anything you did about vetoing this bill is going to actually make the streets of Pennsylvania safer. Okay. Criminals carry guns regardless. So figure that one out and get back to me because I'm calling you out. All right. That's it. That's our new stories for today, guys. I, uh, and, and to that point, talking about us, the people getting involved, right? Governor Tom Wolf there in Pennsylvania. If you live in Pennsylvania, I guess even if you don't, you could, but it probably won't be as effective. But if you are a Pennsylvania resident, Pennsylvanian, I hope that you will write his office and express your displeasure and explain to him the error of his ways and his logic for vetoing that bill. Bill, again, uh, uh, 565. So there you have it. Well, guys, again, uh, another great episode here, uh, although not without its interruptions with uh, Matthew having problems with his internet. He, he tells me he's on the phone with the internet provider and that uh, they've tested his uh, router and, and they've determined that his router is failing. So <laughs> that happens sometimes. Uh, we're sorry we missed you, Matthew. 
and uh, we'll see you next time. Normally, I'd have Matthew's assistance with uh, doing our weekly prize giveaway. Uh, So today, I'm going to have to announce that all on my own. I do want to remind you that each week, we give away a prize to one lucky winner. Those of you that signed up at the page, uh, www.concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize, just fill out the form there, all right? You do have options to share the giveaway and get and earn extra entries into the giveaway, which is worth looking into. All right. Sign up for the prize giveaway each week and have an opportunity an opportunity to win. All right. And the odds are pretty good, honestly. When you if when you actually look at how many people actually sign up each week and you look at a lot of the other giveaway stuff that a lot of people will get involved in, the odds of winning actually are pretty high with our, our weekly giveaway. So this week's prize is a MCF Spark flashlight from Ready Up Gear. Here's mine right here. Awesome, awesome little compact concealed carry light. Super powerful for its size. It packs a punch for a little tiny, like it's smaller than the palm of my hand by a good measure. Uh, it's compact, has a great clip, stays stays clipped to your pants when you need it to be. But at the same time, you can pop, pull it out and immediately deploy it. It's a great little light for many of you concealed carriers. Uh, so one lucky winner. I think the value of this is 50 or $60 for the light. I don't remember always exactly what we sell our stuff for. <laughs> I'm not always looking at the prices, but guys, it's a pretty good prize. Uh, it's going to show up in a nice little box like this one here. Those of you that are viewing the live feed and it, uh, it comes with all the accessories, including the, We'll call it the expansion pack because that sounds cool. And, and people talk about expansion packs with video games. But that's why this is the modular compact flashlight because you can add this component and then make the light compatible with a AA battery. Here's the other thing. With our light, we give you two options of tail caps. Eh? So choose the one that you like that you prefer. You can also reverse the body of the flashlight in, in the middle between the end cap and, and the light head. And that, that's the way you can reverse which way the clip faces. It's totally, completely modular. And we have some other things in the works, although thanks to COVID and a variety of other things, some of that's been put in the back burner. But we do hope to bring some additional cool and unique improvements and accessories or options to this line of great flashlights from Ready Up Gear. Guys, luck, lucky winner of the MCF Spark Flashlight this week is Dave S., Congratulations, Dave. You've actually already been notified. An email has been sent, and uh, you've got, I think, 72 hours to reply to that to acknowledge uh, your winning of one of these great flashlights. And guys, next week, we are going to be giving away a Shall Not Be Infringed t-shirt from the ConcealedCarry.com store. It's an awesome shirt, one of my favorites. I should have thought to wear it today. But anyway, go sign up. Again, www.concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize is the link to get signed up. So with that, one more shout out to our sponsors of today's episode, Elite Survival Systems. Again, you can find them at elitesurvival.com and CCW Safe, which is, of course, ccwsafe.com. And until next time, we remind you to train right, train often, and train safe so that you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.